0: All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, It's a it's a real joy to see you. It's a pleasure to be able to worship alongside of you. It is a blessing uh, to have um, folks like Brad to lead us in worship and to share what Jesus has done in his life. Um, I'm just really, really grateful to be here this morning. I'm also really grateful to be here this morning, uh, this weekend, as we uh, look toward Memorial Day weekend and what that means um, I'm, I'm reminded, and I'm grateful, that we can exist in this space. We can gather publicly, um, and that, in in large part, is due to many, many, countless sacrifices that so many have made in our armed forces. And so, I'm grateful for those sacrifices. Grateful for people to literally lay down their lives, um, which, in, in in a way, allows us uh, to worship publicly this morning. And so. Um, Memorial Day weekend, Uh, grateful for what that means. For those of you who have have served in the armed forces, I know we also have Veterans Day, but just want to say thank you uh, for how you have served and sacrificed. Uh, Church, if you are a guest here this morning, I just want to say thank you to you. Uh, Really one thing that we would ask of you at some point throughout the morning uh, is before you leave, uh, go to lpguest.com or scan the QR code that's in front of you on your phone uh, with your camera app And that will direct you to lpguest.com. We have a digital guest information card there for you. We'd love for you to fill that out. Uh, You'll also see notes for today's message there. um, And if you fill that guest card out, we'll donate to one of our partner ministries. So we'd love to be able to do that. And and just as a way of reminder, on Sunday mornings when we gather, we do have an app as a church. Uh, The reason I want to point that out is so you can know what's coming up uh, in the series, in the life of the church, but also, again, so you can follow along with the notes uh, for the messages each week. So today, uh, we are in week two of a series we've called Wide Open World, and this series really has to do with missions, okay? And and I think sometimes we say in church these church words that we assume everybody understands, and so I just want to make no assumptions and say, okay, when we say missions, or when I say missions, what does that really mean? And Ben did a great job last week of directing us toward the Great Commission uh, from Matthew 28, where Jesus says, go and make disciples. He says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. And so what we see is what's really fascinating, and I think what we often miss, church, is that you and I, we, the church, those who believe in Jesus, we're actually continuing the mission that Jesus started. Well, actually, the mission that started all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, but, but when Jesus was walking on earth, what he said in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 is, is, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so what we see in Jesus' ministry on earth is Jesus going, seeking, and saving lost, broken people, bringing people from spiritual death to spiritual life. It was the work of Jesus. And then what we know now is that right now Jesus isn't a man walking around in Jerusalem, What we know is that right now, Jesus is the king, seated at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling. And what we also know, church, is that through faith in Jesus, you and I, we step into the very work that Jesus was doing 2,000 years ago to seek and to save the lost. And so when I use the word mission, or when the church uses the word missions, what we're saying is, church, we need to step into the very work that Jesus started and that Jesus will finish. And we need to understand we're on the team. As Ben said last week, a beautiful illustration, if you feel a pulse, if you've got air in your lungs, if you're alive, God has a purpose and a plan for you. And part of that purpose and that plan is stepping in to be obedient to following the Great Commission and making disciples. And I think, of course, always the question is, well, how in the world do I do that? And part of this series is trying to to ask that question and give us tangible ways in which we can participate in the work that Jesus started as he went to save and seek the lost, and the work that Jesus commanded us to continue to go and make disciples. And I think as we talk about that, and as we talk about being a part of the most important mission in the universe, maybe that's like, well, that's really scary. (laughs) It's like, I I get anxiety about what to make for breakfast, The idea that I would be a part of of this incredible, really, like, there's nothing more important than this mission, stresses me out. And here's the really awesome thing about participation in the Great Commission. Here's the really awesome thing about life following Jesus is that we say yes because God is faithful. And I would add to that, we say yes because God is faithful, not because we are able I don't want to be really, really clear in that. We don't say yes because we're awesome. We don't say yes because we're extraordinarily gifted. We don't say yes because we've got it all figured out. We say yes because that is all of what God is and God's faithful. And when we say yes to step into the faithfulness of God, we exist within the very purpose we were created to glorify him. So maybe all of us are like, yeah, I know. You didn't have to go on four minutes of that. But maybe not. And I just want to be clear, when the church talks about missions, this is what we're talking about. Okay, And so today, we're going to be in Judges, the book of Judges. Um, there's no shame in not knowing where the book of Judges is. If you need to look uh, at your table of contents, that okay, that's okay. It's right after the book of Joshua. And so Israel has pretty recently come out of Israel, somewhat recently, it's a loose term, uh, come out of Israel. The book of Judges comes before uh, Uh, Samuel the prophet and then the kings of Israel when you see Saul and David, for example. And so the the time in Israel's history is is a pretty sad one. What we see in the book of Judges are these 12 leaders called Judges that God raises up. And what we see throughout the book of Judges is, is the majority of the time there's a downward spiral in Israel as it relates to faithfulness to God. Israel is in rebellion very often. Israel's leaders, these judges that God raises up very often rebel, but there are a few bright spots, and one of those bright spots comes in Judges chapter 4 and Judges chapter 5. And so if you have your scriptures with you, I would encourage you, uh, again, to go there. We will have it on the screens for you, or like I said at the beginning, in the app, uh, all sorts of different ways that you can engage with the text. But I do encourage you to, in some way, personally engage with the text. As we get into this, I do want to pray for us and, and ask God to do what only he can do. So let's, let's take a moment to pray. Father, um, you promised that your word is living and active, and so we, we, we come to you saying, God, please make that living and active in our hearts and in our minds today, that we would be a people who are transformed by your word, who are obedient to your word. And as we think about missions, Father, give us a heart for the lost, because we, <laughs> We were all lost. Through faith in Christ we have been found. And so, God, lead us this morning in only the ways that you can. In Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Judges chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, the text says this. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Herosheth Hagoyim. It's definitely how you pronounce it. Um, (laughs) Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now there's some interesting language here. We we see Ehud. He was the judge uh, before who was going to be Deborah. There's a Particularly gruesome story with Ehud, but he is relatively faithful. He is faithful, I should say. God gives a season of about 80 years of peace and rest. But then it says after Ehud dies, uh, Israel rebels. And in response to their rebellion, the text says God sells them into the hand, which is very fascinating language that we we don't have time to get into today. But just put a bookmark in that and study that or something. I don't know. And so he says he sells them into the hands of Jabin, who is king of Canaan. Okay? Saying, look, your rebellion, I'm going to punish you in a sense. And, and Jabin has a commander named Sisera. And what the text tells us is that Sisera has 900 chariots of iron. And it says that Sisera has been oppressing Israel cruelly for 20 years. And so clearly, Israel, the, the implication we, we can imply that Israel doesn't have chariots of iron. Israel doesn't have a way to fight Sisera. Israel doesn't have a way to, to push back for 20 years years. That's a long time. And actually chapter 5, it's it's sort of a poetic summary of chapter 4, gives us an indicator as to to the extent of this oppression. Chapter 5 in verses 6 and 7, it says this, Deborah saying this, "...in the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned, and travelers kept to the byways. The villagers ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose." So you get this, the highways were abandoned. Cicero must have been patrolling the main roads with his chariots. And so if you ran into Cicero, you ran into trouble. So you kept your head down, you ducked, and you dodged. <laughs> stayed out of the way. It says that there were no villagers in Israel. People stayed in their homes. They were scared. The oppression was so heavy. Here's the thing, fear is typically learned. And so what we know is that Cicero that would likely display very cruel displays of power to keep people oppressed, to keep people fearful. And they were. And again, for 20 years, that's a really, really long time. So the cruelty is great. And now the text continues on in chapter, verse four of chapter four. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, "'Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, and meet you by the river Kishon.' with his chariots and his troops and I will give him into your hand. Now it's not particularly clear if if Barak has also been given this although it seems like he has been based off of Deborah's language who's the prophetess, which means she would hear the words of God and give those words to the people. And the command is really clear, hey Barak who is a leader in Israel's military You need to gather 10,000 men, 10,000 troops from these two tribes. You need to go to this specific place. And when you're at this specific place, then after that, I'm going to bring Sisera around this place. In in the mountain, there's the valley below. I'm going to bring Sisera to the valley below, and I'm going to give him into your hands. And now here's Barak's response in verse 8. Barak said to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. Barack's like, you're crazy. <laughs> Do you know what he's been doing to us for 20 years? We haven't stood a chance. But, look, God seems to be with you. If you go, Deborah, I will go. And I think, look, it's easy, I think, in the, from the vantage point of thousands of years to really pass judgment on Barak. Say, God gave you a clear command. Why aren't you doing it? But I think if we were honest with ourselves and we look at all the clear commands God has given us, we could also respond with the very same thing. Why aren't we doing it? Well, if they go, maybe I'll go. It's like middle schoolers. You going to the dance? No, I'm not going. You going? No, I think about going. How often are we in response to the commands of God, how often do we respond like middle schoolers? Are other people doing it?
1: I don't know. scary.
0: Anyway. Get off track there. Verse 9, it says this, And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. And I think we can connect that to his resistance or his hesitation. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Uh, And we see that later, Jael, a rather gruesome scene. Uh, Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went with him. Jump down to verse 12. It says, When Sisera was told that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. Now, I just want us to picture this, to help us picture this. I have a picture of Mount Tabor. Um, I think it's, it's helpful to remember that, that biblical stories are not made-up stories. They, they're real places with real pe- people and real history. Right? So this is actually the real mountain where this took place. Okay? And so um, what we see here is there's a mountain and there's sort of this valley below and the river Kishon would have been near this valley below. And so the command is, look, go, go to the top of this hill and down before you will be Sisera. And I just want you to place your, yourself in the sandals of these soldiers. You're walking up this mountain and I get tired, you know, pushing my two boys around in their luxury stroller at the zoo. So I can't imagine what it's like to, to hike up. The, it's a pretty steep, like, it. That's a, how, did, how did 10,000 people fit on that thing? I don't even know. You know, it's crowded. You're getting up to the top. You've probably got blisters on your, your Achilles and, and then you've got this heavy sword and the shield. You get up to the top. I would imagine it's hot. It's, it's pretty arid. It's pretty dry up there. You get to the top and then you look down and what do you see? You see glimmering, shining wheels of iron. You probably hear the squeaking of the wheels. You feel the thunder of the horses. And you look down and say, this is the dude who's been whooping our tails for 20 years and we haven't stood a chance. And here I am standing on the mountain with this command to go and none of my experience tells me that this is going to go well. That's a fearful situation. Brad just talked about how we respond to fear. There is nothing in this situation that they should be confident in themselves. But there is everything that they should be confident in the promise of God. Back to the point of this entire series. We say yes, not because we're awesome, not because we're capable, not because we're qualified, but because God is what? Faithful. And so you have this moment where it's like you're either going to be obedient or you're not going to be obedient. There seems to be hesitation because if you look at verse 14, this is what Deborah says. And Deborah said to Barak, up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? Didn't God say this? Does not he go out before you? And so, in response, Barak seems to muster up the courage. In the second half of verse 14, it says, So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Now, I want to jump back over to chapter 5 and verse 4 because we now get this picture of what happened. Deborah said, By the word of the Lord, Does not the Lord go out before you? Now we get a description of how it is that God actually went out before them. Verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when, we, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Yes, the clouds dropped water. So we don't, we don't know exactly, but something tells me this was probably a really beautiful sunny day. And as Barak is on the mountain with his 10,000 and Deborah says up and he says go, the, the text would seem to indicate here that suddenly God goes before them in clouds of rain. The ground shakes. God rushes down the mountain, in a sense, before them, fills the river valley, and utterly destroys Sisera and his army. The God, God won the battle. The army just was a part of the process. And so, verse 15, we see the outcome. And the Lord routed Sisera. Notice, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot, and Barak pursued the chariots, and the army of Herosheth Hagoyim and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. God fulfilled his promise. God did what he said he would do. And I think a reasonable question might be well, what in the world, Paul, does this have to do with missions? And I want to be abundantly clear. What I am not saying, and I don't think what this text is teaching, is that we need to go on a crusade and fight people. I just just want to be really, really clear here. The the point here is not violence. The point is not to start another crusade that was woefully misguided. If you look at the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So this is not a call for aggression physically, but I believe there are several points from this passage that allow us to engage missionally and give us principles for how it is that God works missionally. So that we can be obedient to the command that God has given us. And the first thing I think we see is this that God will accomplish that which He commands. When we think about the Great Commission specifically, this point I think is so important for us to understand that God, when it relates to the Great Commission, God will accomplish that which He commands. Once again, if you go back to this story, you had at the beginning this command given to Deborah I'm gonna give Sisera into your hands. We know that was at the beginning. At the end, we have this clear, and the Lord routed Sisera, right? The Lord defeated Sisera. So you have these bookends of God commanded it, God ultimately accomplished it, and then you have this big gap in the middle where the people actually get to participate in the work that God is doing. And that's really, really important for us to understand, missionally speaking, as it relates to fulfilling the Great Commission. Here's why. Right, All the way back in Matthew 28, which I referenced earlier, and which Ben did a great job teaching through last week, Jesus said what? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples, and we know the rest. That's the beginning point, to a degree. Stick with me. I want to read to you the end point. You see the end point in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. This is the Apostle John. He says, After this I looked. This is the end. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. What do we see here? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. At the end, we see people of every tribe, every tongue, every color, every different ethnicity. This beautiful picture of God's diverse creation when it relates to humanity before the throne of God, worshiping God. And because that's at the end, what that gives us is is a picture that God's going to accomplish the Great Commission. It is going to happen. There will be disciples made of every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's going to happen. And so if we're all the way back here at this is command and this is the end, we have this massive space in the middle where we get to choose, church, whether whether or not we're going to participate in the work that God is doing. It's, It's a little bit like playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. I don't know if anybody goes to those games anymore, but they play against this team. I think it's called the Washington Generals. And the Generals lose every single time. (laughs) And so the point is, look, are are we going to be a part of the winning team? Or are we going to sit back on the sidelines and say, no, somebody else is going to take care of that. It's going to work out. And ultimately, it is going to work out, but it is for our joy, it is for our purposes of obedience. It is for the glory of God that we say yes and we step into obedience to fulfill and be a part of fulfilling the Great Commission. And so as I say that, I think all of us in the room, I really do, I believe almost all of us in the room are saying, yeah, I want to be a part of that. I'm saying, yes, Paul, stop yelling at me. (laughs) Would you quit it? (laughs) But I think a lot of us, we think, well, how? What do I do? I want to say yes. I want to be a part. When I'm in heaven and I get to look around and see all these people, maybe God would use us. Like, look, no, I, I shared the gospel with that person. They shared the gospel with me. I mean, it's going to be stunning. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. And I think we all want to say yes. And then the question is, how? How do we do that? And, and again, I think, we get, I think we get some insight from this, from this text. All right? Here's what I want to say. Some will go, some will stay, all must obey. Some will go, some will stay, all must obey. Here's where I'm getting this from the text. Remember back in, in the early command, go, you know, God has given Sisera into your hand, and he has to go collect 10,000 troops from these two tribes. Well, imagine you're those, those 10,000 troops, Right? You're one of those, and it's like, hey, we're going to go fight Sisera. And again, this 20 years of history says that's a terrible idea. 20 years of history says this is not going to go well for us. 20 years of history says when we get on top of that mountain, they're going to surround us with the chariots, and we're all going to die. But they chose to obey. They chose to say, okay. So how does that relate to that point? Some will go, some will stay, some will obey. Well, when it comes to the Great Commission, it's not whether or not you're a part of it. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you have been saved by grace through faith, if you have been brought to life, if your sins have been forgiven by the payment of Jesus for your sins on the cross, and the wrath against sin has been satisfied on Christ, on your behalf, you are a part of this process. And as a part of this process to fulfill the Great Commission, some of us are going to get calls to go be missionaries in foreign nations. I'm praying we get to stand up here and send out people. Some of us will get calls to go be a part of other things. Praise God so long as those things glorify God. Some of us will get calls. I'm praying we get to tithe our congregation to send out as a church plant somewhere else. That would be the best. If we could send a bunch of people to another community to be a church plant to faithfully preach the gospel and make more disciples. I want that to happen. Some of us will stay right here. Some of us will stay within our city, some of us will stay within our family, some of us will stay in our jobs, but the point is not necessarily whether you're going to go or you're going to stay, that's individual. The point is every single one of us has an opportunity to obey right where we are. And when I say obey, what I want to to talk about is specifically the very simple commands of God. You see, I think we step into fulfilling the Great Commission by obeying commands like love your neighbor as yourself. I think we step in to, to faithfully fulfilling the Great Commission as individuals by working to disciple our children, by teaching them the ways and the teachings of the Lord. Christianity is one generation from disappearing. It never will because God's going to continue it, right? But if an entire generation says no, again, it's never going to happen, but I, I think it's sometimes helpful to like, no, it's my responsibility to invest in my children that God has given me, to invest in the next generation. I think for some of us, when we think of this idea of going and make disciples, we automatically get a faraway view when we need to take an up-close view of who it is around us. You, if you have been saved by grace through faith, have all of the tools you need to go and make a disciple. You do. What's the tool you really need? Ultimately, it's what Jesus has done in you. Brad just stood up here and shared, which was an incredibly brave thing to do. And that brought glory to God. And that is Brad's story. And I pray so many resonates with that story this morning. And they're maybe been stuck in fear to say, I, my story's too messy or my story's too broken, whatever it is. I believe there's power in sharing what God has done in our lives and through us. And I believe God makes disciples in the sharing of those stories and the intentional sitting down to say, hey, where are you with Jesus. So I want you to think, who is your one? Who is the one person you can actually invest in? Who is the one person that you can disciple? You you can do it. Discipleship is not up to the professional, whatever that means. I know I'm the guy who stands up here on stage, but my job is actually to equip the saints for the work of ministry. (laughs) You're actually on the front lines of ministry. You actually probably interact with more non-Christians than I do. That's a problem here for me. Right? All of us have to take this personally. All of us have to take this seriously. And so the point is, some of us will go. Some of us will stay. All of us have to obey. What is the command of God that you need to obey today? Maybe it's repentance. Maybe it's getting over the fear. I don't know what it is, but how can you obey? The last point this morning from this story is that when we say yes to God, we become firsthand witnesses to the glory of God. Again, I want you to just picture, I know we keep going back to the text, but I don't know how else to do it, but man, you see this here, they, it's like charge, God shows up, rain falls, it's like, what is happening? This is stunning. I believe as we say yes, even in the midst of fear, as we step out in faith, we will see God do things that only God can do. And that will reveal to us the glory, the power, and the beauty of God before us. And that will bring joy to our souls because we are meant to worship God. We are meant to find satisfaction in our souls for who God is. And when we put ourselves in uncomfortable situations where God has to show up, He will. He will. When's the last time you put yourself in an uncomfortable faith situation? Where you were fully reliant upon God to show up. What does that look like for you? What does it look like to be fearful to say, "God, I'm desperate for you. I, am, I need you. If you don't show up, this is going to be bad." How can you be desperate for God to show up in your life? Uh, Somewhat recently, we sent a mission team to Malawi, Africa. And uh, this morning here, in a couple of minutes, um, we we have the privilege of having Lindell Bell with us. Uh, Lindell is the missions director um, for our LifePoint Delaware campus, but actually does a whole lot to help us here at Marion uh, as well. And so very grateful for Lindell's leadership. Um, But Lindell and this team uh, got to go to Malawi, Africa, um, and in partnership with one of our partner ministries, and I think they really saw this point revealed. That as they said yes, and as there were a lot of fearful things that so many on that team had to step out of, they saw the glory of God revealed before them as they went. And so- in order for us to sort of understand the setting here, we've got just a quick video for you just to show you what this setting was like. You're going to see Lindell in that video. You're going to see another woman from our church. So I just want you to take a look at this, what the scene, what the setting was like in Lindell, and I will be up here in a second. It'll probably happen eventually. There it is. Okay, we're good. All right. Uh, so again, just to see sort of the settings, see some of the types of things, Uh, They were doing what that felt like, what that looked like. So, Lindell, would you, uh, also thanks for being here, by the way, Uh, would you quickly give us just a recap of this trip, if you would? And so um, what did you see just personally, as, as we're thinking through this so often, I think saying yes and actually stepping into the Great Commission into obedience is getting over some of our own fears and things. And so what did you see God do in you through that trip? good thanks and so lastly how did you we just finished up that point of like we when we say yes we get to be first-hand witnesses of the glory of God so how did you see God glorified and go before you in that trip So good. So good. Thank you, uh, Lindell. Uh, church, could we say thanks to Lindell? So I, I think um, okay. you can go ahead. Sorry. Um, just as we, as we close this morning, uh, I just want to encourage us. What's that, what's that step? What's that step of faith where you need to be uncomfortable uh, to really have God show up and to move? Um, and as we continue in this series, uh, continuing to ask ourselves, hey, we're all part of the Great Commission. We're all part of the process and God is going to save people. He is going to do what only he can do and the question is are we going to be a part of it? So let's let's pray uh, together. Father, um, grateful for the morning. We're grateful for the time together. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to hear stories like Lindell's. We're grateful that you, you allowed us to be a part of 234 people going from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life and that is It's just an amazing blessing and someday I pray we get to see those people and to to just be able to worship Jesus you together. Uh, God, I'm just just grateful for that. And so as we continue to talk about missions over these weeks, God, would you stir in us a heart of obedience? Maybe some of us need to go. Maybe some of us need to stay. But Father, I believe all of us, whatever that looks looks like, we need to obey what it is you're doing in us and within us and around us. God, we need you. We love you. Glorify yourself again as we sing this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.